Let's pray. I can't wait to dive into this series. God, you are hope. You don't just give hope. You are hope. And for the next four weeks, God, we're going to do the very best we can to unpack this idea of what hope is and who it's available for and where it comes from. And my prayer today, Lord, is that um, you will speak clearly to every person that you brought into this place. It's not an accident that we're here. We're not just here to see our friends or hang out. We're here to meet with you. So God, our prayer is that we would do just that. Teach us about yourself today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, we didn't do this last year, but today we're going to kick off our Christmas series with what most people know as the Christmas passage. So if you have your Bible or your smartphone, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, and it's going to feel so Christmassy as we read this. Uh, We're not going to stay there the whole time, but we're going to start there. So Luke chapter 2, and we'll we'll get there in a few minutes. Um, We are kicking off this series today called The Thrill of Hope. And you probably have already figured out that that phrase, thrill of hope, comes from one of the most famous Christmas songs of all times, Oh Holy Night, right? It's one of the lyrics in there, and and I thought we would put the lyrics up on the screen so you could see the context of where this comes from, because I think one of the mistakes we make sometimes, especially at Christmas time, because we've sung these songs for decades, literally, some of us, all of our lives, And we hear the tune and we sing the song, but we miss the message. And so, so let's look at these, this, this one phrase here, this, this passage from the song, O Holy Night. And this is what the words say, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And we, we know who he is, right? Jesus, that's who we're talking about here. And, and, and when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. Now here's that phrase. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know if you even thought about maybe not coming today, but if we didn't even open the Bible, whoever wrote the words to that song, that's really good news right there. Like when you look at those words and think that we were lost in sin and error, that word pining, is it still up there? Yeah, that word pining actually means to have a mental or physical decline, especially from a broken heart. And so people were were declining, right? Society, human beings were falling apart because our hearts were broken. And God sent this thrill of hope, Jesus Christ. And when he did all the weary souls could rejoice because a new morning is coming. Like, it's just, it's just really, really good news. And when Jesus came, it was a thrill of hope for hurting people. What's powerful to me in these words is the fact that Jesus' coming didn't just give a thrill of hope. When Jesus came, he came as hope. He's not just a hope giver, Jesus is hope. Now let me call a time out this morning before we go any further, and let me just say this. I realize that not everybody in this world, probably not everybody in this room or listening on, or watching on video today, or listening on podcasts, I realize not everyone buys in or believes all this Jesus stuff. 
right? Born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, and is coming back one day. I realize that for a lot of people, that's very skeptical stuff. And they're like, I just don't know if I believe it. And if that's you today, and you're that skeptic, even if you're, you're watching on video or listening, I, I have a challenge for you. Not just for today, but for the next four weeks. Because challenge number one is, I hope you'll come back and just give it enough time to hear the whole story. But as you listen, instead of listening as a skeptic, picking it apart, for just this once, listen to what is talked about and taught over the next few weeks and ask yourself this question. How would all of this change my life if it was true? Just let yourself go there for a moment. Even if, you, even if you consider yourself a believer, but you're not really buying in and walking with Jesus and getting to know him, and you're not sure that you fully believe that his way is better, for the next few weeks, just ask yourself, if everything we've been talking about really is true, how would that change my whole life? Because I believe it would. So before we dive into the story itself and Luke chapter 2 and all that, I think it's important for us to uh, investigate or uh, examine the, the definition of the word hope. And so, you know, sometimes when we talk about biblical hope or Jesus hope, we equate it with the world's hope and they're not the same thing. Because when you and I use the word hope in normal English language, we don't mean what Jesus is. What we really mean when we say, I hope my favorite team wins, or I hope I get the promotion, what we're saying is, I wish. Or it'd be really nice if that came true. It's different than, than the hope that we're talking about when we talk about the thrill of hope that Jesus brought when he was born into this world. Two different things. And so here's our working definition. If you've been around the bridge for a long time, you uh, will recognize this. This is very similar. This is kind of the, the, the attitude toward hope that we've, we've adopted and we've bought into since we opened our doors here at the Bridge Fellowship. And it's here on the screen for you. Hope is this. Hope is knowing that God is good and loves me unconditionally. And that regardless of my current circumstances, his plan for my life is still good and still intact. That's hope. For, for every person in here today. And, and I'm going to come back to this at the end of the message today, but, but I, I think it, it bears stating before we go any further. I, I know that I don't know all of you intimately. I, I know that I don't know everything that you deal with. I don't know the struggles that you're carrying around. I don't know the challenges that you're facing. I don't know the uncertainty that you battle every day, but here's what I know. Same hope covers it all, and it's Jesus. And I know that sounds simple, but I think if we will take time to hear the words from God's word, uh, not just today, but over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, I believe this could be a game changer for people's lives. I think it could literally radically shift how you see the world, how you approach your everyday life, how you approach the problems that you face because Jesus didn't come as a little baby, which we're about to talk about, and then die on a cross just so that you could suffer through life and barely make it till heaven. That's not why he came. The hope that he brought 
means that you have the power to live with peace and hope and joy every day of your life, every moment, every circumstance, every challenge that you walk through, the hope covers it all. Okay, so the next logical step is to take a look at how hope got here and what it, what it offers or what he, Jesus Christ, the, the hope offers. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and this will be very familiar to all of you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And I don't know if you know that, but, but Jesus, baby Jesus, King Jesus, is from the family tree of King David. Like... Not just King David who kicked Goliath's butt with a slingshot David, but adulterer David, murderer David. That's Jesus' family tree. Don't, don't forget that, right? So anyway, he was from the lineage of David. Verse 5. Uh, he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, pregnant. We'll get there in a second. Uh, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, here's what we've got to do this morning. So be patient. It's for us to understand the power of what's happening in early ch- chapter 2 of Luke. We've got to rewind and see what happened before then to, to fully understand and grasp the power of the hope that is being offered to you, not just in this moment inside these walls today, but every moment of your life, every day and season and year of your life, we got to rewind to see what happened before all this. So let's start here. Mary is a teenage girl minding her own business, okay? A lot of you have teenage girls. Some of you used to be a teenage girl. Um, There's nothing special about Mary. In fact, we don't know a lot about Mary other than the fact that she was young. That's one of the only things that the Bible lets us know about Jesus's human mother was that that she was um, young when she had Jesus. And and the Bible says uh, in Luke chapter 1 that an angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to be the mom of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Right? Now, not only are you going to be the mom of Jesus, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, that's going to make you pregnant, though you've never been with a man before in your whole life, and you're going to raise this little baby that will become the Savior of the world. Time out. Just an angel appearing would freak me out. Anybody else? Like, let, let's just start there. Like, there's a new show on television, and I know that um, I may be the only one that loves this, but, and I always mess up, but it's like, Kevin will probably save the world or something, and it's this show where this uh, misfit, um, screw-up brother um, gets visited by kind of an angel, and I'm not saying that that show is biblically correct, so don't quote me, or whatever, but here's, here's what that show does a really good job of is, uh, Jason Ritter, the actor, does a great job of, 
of showing on camera what all of us would really feel like if we were visited by an angel. So before we go any further in this story, you're a teenage girl minding your own business. If, if it was 2017, she would be on her cell phone, she'd be on social media, she'd be hanging out with her friends, and an angel appears. Like, that would make me tinkle a little, just that much, right? <laughs> then the angel says... Teenage girl, no lineage, no special uh, royalty in her family bloodline. You are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Let that sink in for a minute and try to put yourself in Mary's shoes and go, excuse me, who are you? What is going on right now? Like that's, that's the reaction that most of us would have, right? Now, um, so... Uh, it, it, To say the least, I think we would all agree, if you were Mary, that would qualify as a pretty chaotic morning. If you get up thinking, I'm going to go to school and do all my after-school activities and chores and all that, but then before you even get out the door, you're the mother of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's a pretty crazy morning, right? Now, that's not even half the story, so buckle up, right? Now, Mary who is engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And we're not talking about 2017. We're talking about 2,000 years ago when the culture is completely different in the world, right? She has to go to Joseph and tell him she's pregnant. Can you imagine how that conversation went, right? Uh, You're probably like me. We see these videos on YouTube or social media, especially of... um, of wives telling their husband in a creative way that we're going to have a baby, right? They're, they're so sweet, and the wife cries, and the husband cries, and then you cry, you cry watching social media, and it's just amazing, okay? This is not that. <laughs> this was not a pleasant conversation. Let me tell you why, first of all. Because Joseph knows Mary's a virgin. He knows I haven't been with her. And so the moment she says, I'm pregnant immediately his mind has to go, well, I know it's not mine. Who have you been hanging out with, right? Let's just stop right there. And before we go any further, you probably need to know if you don't already that adultery in Jesus's day during the time that he was born in most communities was punishable by death, the death penalty. So now the conversation is getting a little heavier, right? Because it goes something like this. Joe, we need to talk, right? Like, like, just imagine that. I don't know, some of you may have had that talk at some point in your life, and even if the death penalty wasn't involved, you're like, well, crap, you know, that, that kind of moment, right? Um, however, it, it's heavier than that because it's kind of like she, Mary kind of goes, so funny thing, Joe, turns out I'm pregnant, but don't freak out. I haven't been with any man. (laughs) See how crazy this story is? And then he's like, good one. What the heck are you talking about? You're pregnant, but you haven't been with a man. Well, see, that's kind of the funny part. Turns out, God got me pregnant. (laughs) And just like, if I'm Joseph at that moment going, I'm going to go back to bed and start over. Why don't you do that too, and then we'll try this conversation again. And so, by the way, uh, Joseph, who could have had Mary executed, 
because she was pregnant. They weren't married yet, and it could have fallen on his family name too, but the Bible says that because Joseph was an upright and good man, he decided that he was just going to divorce Mary quietly, not divorce her, but take her away quietly, not, not harm her in any way, but just kind of separate from her, distance himself. And while he's mulling over this decision, the Bible says, guess what? An angel visits Joseph. Your turn. And, and now he has this crazy conversation. And he, while the angel is appearing to him, he's remembering the crazy conversation he's just had with Mary. And now can you imagine his whole world is spinning out of control like he's thinking I got a pregnant wife that I didn't sleep with she's telling me and the angel's telling me that God's the father of that baby and that the baby is going to be the savior of the world and wipe out sin for the rest of humanity until he comes back again like all that's crazy enough but but to explain it to people when they say Joseph how'd you come to all this I got to tell people oh an angel told me like, like, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. I don't care if it's 2,000 years ago or right now in 2017. If you were walking in this situation and in the shoes of Mary and Joseph, you know what we'd be saying? This, this doesn't make sense. This can't be happening. Like, no. Like, stop. Everyone would just like want to stop time for a minute and go, no, this is not happening. We would grab our foreheads and our temples and go, I'm just, this is just a dream. This is just a dream. I'm going to wake up. But they, did, they didn't. It was real life. And, it, and it's, it's real chaos that entered their world. So that was rough, but chaos over, right? Nope. While they, so, so, so here's what happens, right? Um, fast forward now nine months and Mary is full term pregnant. They've decided to stay together. They've decided they're going to raise Jesus. And it's nine months, meaning Mary is full on pregnant. Now, in case you're not aware of this, I thought I would walk you through the three stages of pregnancy according to Pastor Steve this morning, okay? (laughs) Stage number one of pregnancy goes something like this. I'm really excited, but all I feel like doing is puking, okay? That's stage one, right? And then you get past stage two, which we'll call the somewhat normal stage of life, where you're happy and nice again. Then there's the final stage of pregnancy that I call the angry stage, (laughs) where women can't sleep at night, and there's a small human inside their body sticking his heel into their ribs, right? And nothing makes you happy. Like, the only happy thought you have is, get this thing out of me, right? That, that, so keeping that in, in, in perspective, that's where Mary's at. She's not in stage one or two. She's full-blown, nine months pregnant, and Caesar Augustus says, everybody's got to go to your hometown. Everybody in your family has to go and register. Now, let me paint a picture for you here. Um, when, when Mary uh, is visited by the angel and Joseph, they're living in a place called Nazareth. Joseph's hometown, which is where they have to go to register, is Bethlehem, which is about 70 miles from Nazareth. No Uber. (laughs) Right? We're walking. 
Mary had to walk or maybe ride on a donkey for 70 miles. That's like going from South Colorado Springs to North Denver on a donkey or walking nine months pregnant. Are you getting the picture of this moment in Mary's life right now? I mean, it's just crazy, right? So chaos over now. Nope, not yet. While they were there in Bethlehem to register for the census, Jesus decides this baby's coming into the world right now. And so they go looking for a hotel, but they can't find a hotel because it's the census, you know, and all the hotels are booked. And so the Bible, not Steve Ferris, but the Bible says the only place that Mary and Joseph could find to give birth to Jesus was a barn. You know, you know when your mom and dad, when you were little and you would not pick up after yourself, they would say that phrase, you think you were born in a barn? Look, kids, if you're in here, next time you can just say, Jesus was, or, or whatever, you know. <laughs> right? He was literally born in a barn. Like, think of all that they've been through the last nine months, and now they're sitting in a barn, and, and we love the song. Anybody else love the song, Away in a Manger? It's like one of the most Christmas christmasiest songs there are and and even when we were reading luke chapters 2 i love when it says they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger and it sounds so sweet that's not sweet a manger is a cow trough it's the long open box that you pour the food in for the cows and horses to eat out of not sweet dirty stinky like not good and and that's how Jesus comes into this world, right? Now, time out. I think all of us would agree that there's some serious craziness for Jesus to be born into. Virgin birth, angels appearing, uh, Mary freaking out, Joseph freaking out, having to walk 70 miles, nine months pregnant, to being born in a barn in a cow trough. I call that chaos. Now, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. It wasn't an accident. Like, I don't think that God was in heaven the whole time all this is going on. He's like, oh, didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, gosh, a barn. Oh, shoot. Oh, all the whole, a manger. Oh, man. It wasn't an accident that Jesus was born into chaos. In fact, look at this on the screen. Jesus wasn't just born into chaos. He came to calm the chaos. And I think the reason that God allowed all those circumstances to surround the birth of baby Jesus was to remind us why he came, to calm the chaos. And here's the important part of this whole Christmas story, is that Jesus didn't come to just calm Mary and Joseph's chaos, he came to calm yours. Whatever you're going through, whatever you carry, maybe stuff that you don't even want anybody else to know. Or maybe it's stuff that you're carrying around or walking through and you go, I'm not going to make it to the other side. Jesus came for that. If you have your Bibles, turn to John uh, chapter 8. We're going to fast forward a little bit here and and I want to just give you an example of why Jesus didn't just come for Mary and Joseph. Like, yes, their lives were chaotic, And it wasn't just that when Jesus came, uh, their chaos ended, okay? And and by the way, the promise, don't miss this, the promise in the birth of Jesus Christ is not that he would make the chaos go away. 
but that he would bring hope in the midst of the chaos, right? So John, John chapter 8, um, just get there, and I'm going to tell the story, and then we're going to read one verse out of John chapter 8 before we close today. So, so this picture in John chapter 8 is uh, the story of the adulterous woman. And uh, what's going on on this day is there are some religious leaders who hate Jesus. They hate everything he stands for. They won't even call him Jesus or the Messiah. They actually started calling this Jesus movement the way. And they would say the ones that follow the way. And they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to find a way to trap him in his words so that they could have a reason to kill him. And not only that, they, were, they thought he was contradicting the Old Testament, which he was in some ways, because remember, Jesus came to um, abolish the Old Covenant and bring forth a New Covenant. And in other words, in the Old Testament, we lived under the law. And if you couldn't measure up to the law, you're, you're toast, right? And Jesus said, I'll live up to the law so that you can live under grace, right? And so, so that's what's going on. And, and these religious leaders that were constantly trying to put Jesus in a corner, they, they somehow, and I think it was a witch hunt, they somehow find a woman who is literally in bed with a man who's not her husband. So she's in the act of adultery, naked. They bust in the doors, drag her out into the street where Jesus is teaching, and they throw this lady. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine the horror? They throw this lady at the feet of Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, we just caught this woman in adultery, Moses, the the Old Testament says we should stone her to death, throw rocks at her till she's dead. What do you say? Tough moment, right? Like like they've got Jesus kind of kind of got him over a barrel here. Like like if he says one thing, he's going against the teachings of Moses. But if he he says I agree with the teachings of Moses, then then we've got him on the other hand, right? Because all this stuff, the way, all this new grace and and no law but grace stuff that he's been teaching is a lie. So either way, we got him. Except they didn't plan for Jesus. And by the way, like don't get lost in this moment. The Jesus that this naked woman is laying at his feet, same baby Jesus born in a barn. Little baby, grew up. And now he's fulfilling his calling as the savior of the world, the redeemer, right? So this lady's there. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't answer their question. It says he just bent down and started riding in the dirt. Like, like guys, when we were kids and we would play in, in a field or something, we would write the football plays in the dirt, you know? That, like, like Jesus just started writing in the dirt. He stood up again and he says, okay, tell you what. The guys that brought her out here, the one of you who has never made one mistake, never sinned one time, you go first. You throw the first rock. And, and then the Bible says he stooped down and wrote again. And when he wrote the second time, it says that one by one, these men started to leave, slip out of the crowd and disappear, starting with the older ones first. And we don't know theologically exactly what happened that day. Maybe we'll never know. Maybe we don't even get that full answer in heaven. I don't know. That's a little more relevant than this. Most theologians believe the reason that these men started walking away one by one is because possibly, just maybe, what Jesus was writing in the dirt were their sins. 
And they went, oh, forgot about that one. But that's not the most important part of this story, so don't get caught there. After everybody is gone, all the guys that drug her out of this house. By the way, one of the things that is just broken is the man that was committing the same adultery. They must have let him go because he didn't stand before anybody that day. But here's this woman. Now all of her accusers are gone. And Jesus, I'm changing the story a little bit. I'm not changing scripture, but it's almost as if the Bible says he bends down and lifts her up. But I think it's almost like one of those moments when you're really down and you've really blown it and somebody who loves you puts their finger under your chin and lifts your chin up and says, hey, look at me. You've had that moment, right? I think Jesus raises her chin and says, look, look at me. Where'd all your accusers go? And probably still trembling with fear, she says, they're gone. Do- doesn't one of them condemn you? No. And some of the greatest words in the Bible Jesus says next. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now let me unpack a couple of things there real quick because it's important for this hope story that we're talking about. First of all, um, when Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, what we know now, and maybe not everybody knew then, but what we know now because of what God's word teaches, if anybody had the right that day to condemn this woman, it was the one that set her free. Jesus has the power to condemn you. But instead of condemning, he was crucified so that you didn't have to face condemnation. And what a moment for him to be able to lift up the chin of this woman in easily her most embarrassing, humiliating, darkest moment of her life and go, hey, look at me, chin up. I'm bigger than this. And you're forgiven. And I got no condemnation for you. And it is all good. Like, those are the words of Jesus to this woman. Now, the last words he said are, now go and sin no more. And legalists, even legalist uh, theologians all over the world pounce on those last words and he goes aha see he threatens her go and you better not sin anymore but if you actually dissect the greek language of what jesus was saying right there it's compassion not a threat here's what he's saying in steve's paraphrase jesus says does anyone here condemn you no sir neither do i condemn you now look at me It doesn't have to be this way. You can go live a completely different life. Don't settle for this anymore. That's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, I got my eye on you. I'm going to be watching you if you do it again. That wasn't what's happening in this moment. He was setting her free to live under an amazing amount of grace that she had just seen offered to her in her worst moment. Now, after all this is done... Jesus turns back to the crowd. Same, this is where you got to make the connection. Same baby Jesus that came in the midst of the chaos in a barn, in a manger, says this to the crowd in John chapter 8, verse 12. Read this with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them, everybody standing around, and he said, I am the light of the world. What a great promise. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
You know why that's so powerful? That he said this in that moment right after setting this adulterous woman free? Because if you're a girl who's just been caught in adultery and is about to be executed, but Jesus comes and sends your accuser away and then lifts up your chin and says, I got this, I'm bigger than this, and I still love you in spite of what you were just caught in, and I have a plan for your life, and you don't have to settle for this. When that moment happened, Jesus was no longer just the light of the world. He became the light of her world, and he calmed the chaos what he came to do it's his specialty it's what he was born for and it's what he lived for and it's what he died for he he came to turn the darkness to light he came to make the sun come up again after a really dark night ever been there that's why i love sunrises Michelle and I, our whole family, when our girls were young, we would do this too. Like if, if somebody got up first and there was amazing sun, sunrise, we'd literally run through the house waking each other up going, you got to come see the sunrise. I know some of you are going, you do that to me, I will punch you. Like <laughs> I, I can see a sunrise on a picture, I, you know. But there's just something about a sunrise to my heart, don't miss this, that's a reminder darkness is over. I'm still here. I came to turn the darkness into light, and I came to calm the chaos. And so the promise for you and I today, and because because here's the deal, okay? I know there's a temptation to go, well, great, Mary and Joseph and the adulterous woman, and I've heard those Bible stories, and, and great, but not me. Jesus didn't come to do all that for me, because I know me. And even if he he wanted to give that to me, I'll just turn my back on him later. Your propensity to turn your back on Jesus is what drew him to die on the cross in the first place. That's what made him love you is your weakness. So here's a promise. Look at this. This is great worth taking a picture of. Jesus did not come to condemn you for the chaos in your life. He came so that you could have hope in the midst of of your chaos. That's why he came. And, and everybody look right here. He came for your chaos. Don't let the enemy, don't let the chatterbox trick you into thinking that hope is just for other people. Hope is for the worst of the worst. Do you realize in this moment how ugly this woman's life was? Like, she was the worst of the worst. You want something even better than that? How about Peter? Take Peter for a minute. Here's a guy who shot off his mouth. He had the spiritual gift of sticking his foot in his mouth. He was arrogant. He constantly judged other people while saying, Jesus, I'm the one that will never turn my back on you. But on the night Jesus was arrested, not once, not twice, Three times, the last time even cursing to a little girl, Peter says, I don't know that Jesus. I don't know that bleeping fool. Leave me alone. And the Bible says in that moment, when he, when he denied Christ the third time, that Jesus was being led away and Jesus' eyes locked with Peter's eyes. Talk about worst of the worst. 
You're the arrogant blowhard, but then you're the one that turns your back on him. And can you imagine the guilt and shame when their eyes meet? That eye contact and the power of that moment? The hope, the the living hope, the thrill of hope that was born in that cow trough is your hope. It's for you. It's for whatever you're carrying. I heard a guy speaking this week on a podcast and he put Jesus' love for you and me like this. And and disclaimer, okay? Because I know not everyone, including me, has had a great relationship with both their mom and dad all their life. But I think all of us can wrap our minds around this statement. That generally speaking, moms and dads are good and they love their kids. Just a general blanket statement. I think most of us could agree with that. Most parents. So this is what he said. Just blew my mind. He said, if you took all of the love of all the mom and dads in the history of the world, since the human race began, all the love and the patience and the long-suffering and the prayer, if you took all of that throughout human history and combined it into one love, it would be but a faint imitation of the love that Jesus Christ has for you. It's a powerful moment, especially when we talk about Mary and Joseph and you guys in here that are parents. Like, I can't imagine anyone loving anyone any more than I love my girls. But if we took all the love of all the parents and all the world in human history and combined them and multiplied all that power... It doesn't compare to the love that Jesus has for you. That's why hope came. And before we land the plane today, the band's going to come, and I want to talk about one, one more thing. Because this hope, this thrill of hope, this, this gospel that we're talking about today, this good news, in case you don't know that, the, the word gospel, it just means good news. When we're talking about the Jesus gospel, we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, Right? That gospel, this story of Jesus, the thrill of hope that we're talking about is a so that hope. It, it's, it's not just a standalone, free ticket, get out of hell free card, get to go to heaven even though you don't deserve it. All that's awesome, but it's not enough. In fact, the book of James talks about this quite a bit, that faith without works is dead, like it's meaningless. And so I think, I think we would be irresponsible this morning if we talked about all this amazing hope for all of the struggles that you and I have and we didn't take the next step because Jesus never intended for you to receive this hope and do absolutely nothing with it. It's a so that story. Jesus came, watch this, Jesus came to calm your chaos so that you can know him personally, you can bring him glory, wait, and so that you can help calm the chaos of others. That's why you're here. I, I don't know if anybody else is like me. Like, when, when Christmas lights go up and the music comes on and, you know, you're, you're in shopping centers and I guess maybe some people don't like it, but to me, something happens to society. 
like there's a little knob that's turned on all of us that there's at least this propensity, this, this availability of being nicer. Isn't, is, it, is it just me? Y'all feel like that? Okay, then, then don't miss this. The hope of baby Jesus in Luke chapter 2 was not something that was meant to just stuff away and go, oh my gosh, I'm glad I have this. I'm not going to go to hell. The plan was that it would change you from the inside out and from the moment you hand over the keys of Jesus Christ, of your life to Jesus Christ, that you would begin thinking and acting and loving more and more like Him. And then, watch this, you go from being a hope receiver to a hope deliverer. You're a carrier of hope. And what better way than this time of year to go to your office, to your neighbors, to your own family, to the crowded stores that we're all going to be in over the next month. And every chance you have the opportunity, deliver some hope. That's the so that behind the gospel. That's why we do Hope Train. It's just to share this thrill of hope. And so let me close with this today. Don't know what you're carrying, but these are three good questions. Could you use some hope for your situation that maybe nobody knows about? Could could you use some hope? And another question is, if you're not going to find that hope in Jesus, where are you going to find it? a lot of people, including people that I love very much and I'm very close to my whole life, they would say, man, the Jesus stuff, that's just a crutch. That's just a big fairy tale. I got this. And my question for people is, how's that working for you? And then the final question would be this. Even if you're the skeptic in the room today, why not just give it a try? Just just open yourself up over the next three weeks to hear the truth of the hope of Jesus Christ and just see what it does to your heart. Jesus came to give you hope. Let's pray today. Man, Jesus, I am so grateful for the hope that you give. I'm so grateful, Father, that in my darkest moment, instead of condemning me, you bend down and lift my chin up and you trade my condemnation for hope over and over and over again, every time. And every time that I think you've reached your limit, you offer hope and forgiveness again. Thank you, Lord. God, my prayer is that as we sing this last song this morning, that every person in here would feel a connection to the hope that you bring. Not just once in a manger when you're a little baby, but over and over again, no matter how many times we fall on our face, you're there to say, chin up, here's some hope. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.